that was like it's funny because those little questions are actually yeah. like the things that I find the most interesting a lot of the time. <laughs> Not that like the topic, yeah, yeah, yeah. whatever the topic is, isn't interesting, but yeah, I just want to get to know the person. You no. kind of break in some uh, initial rules with those questions. Of course, yeah. And it's definitely going to happen again. So, yeah. so, <laughs> so, don't worry. so what are you wearing? Yeah. <laughs> well, are you a briefs or jocks kind of guy? <laughs> briefs. Always briefs. Briefs? Yeah, 100%. You want some room for <laughs> <laughs> Please tell me you're recording. <laughs> this is definitely recording. Fantastic. Yeah. You know what I hate? Did you did you ever enjoy wearing boxes? Like silk silk box silk boxes. They're horrible. They're terrible. But when you wear them when you was a kid, I think I remember quite enjoying them. Or maybe it was a thing to wear, wasn't it? It was a thing to wear as yeah, a kid. There's no. We need to discuss this. There's no protection. No, there's not. You need some protection. No. Jocks offer too much protection. They, they're killing you. They're, yeah, they're restricting your voice. Yeah. yeah. I'm not sure. If you were claustrophobic, do you think you could wear jocks as a human? I, 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 I wear jocks from time to time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, I'm not anti-jock, and I don't want to um, divide the jock wearing community. You get some haters for that. I definitely yeah. am going to get some haters for that. But I definitely am not a fan of silk boxes. That's where, no. that's where I draw the line. <laughs> I'm really... I'm thinking about it now, and I'm thinking the... Feeling, mm. I can actually visualize the shifting of oh, the, the shifting goodness. of the pants, yeah. like, and sometimes they would ride up really high, <laughs> and now you have, you know, and it'd get really awkward. Like, sometimes maybe just the way I was wearing them, I don't know, but like yeah. they could essentially ride up so high that now you have this funny-looking g-string <laughs> <laughs> silk boxer. That can you buy them anymore? I'm, sh- I'm sure. Yeah, maybe I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not look maybe. <laughs> Out of sight, out of mind. Yeah, let's hope they're uh, well out of sight. Let's hope. Let's hope so. Maybe, maybe it's like one of those things where you know how like young kids and old people have a lot of similarities. Yeah, yeah. Like there's that whole saying like, when you're a child you have nappies, when you become old you have maybe like silk boxers. There's like a little space there just before you get really old. Maybe you can allow it back into your life. You can allow it back into your life. But what makes that mental decision for you? Just like, wow, they look great. Yeah, maybe, maybe just the fashion changes, your fashion taste. <laughs> so, I am very happy that you are here today again to converse all things cryptocurrency Thanks, and silk boxes. <laughs> Looking forward to it. Uh, so, I found that our last podcast was very educational and I had quite a good amount of feedback uh, with people who both were maybe just slightly dabbling into cryptocurrency and wanted to know more about it. Or just the general public who, you know, crypto has become this really, uh, almost like a bit of a pop word right now, yeah. where it's like the cool thing to say, yeah. but it's a really complex subject and people don't often really know enough about it, or even like, uh, it's still kind of complicated to just throw yourself into it, right? So, uh, yeah. I guess, let's start with, you know, if you were somebody who wanted to, like, let's say... You've heard about it now, and now you, you know, obviously the the tides have kind of changed, and mm-hmm. probably even just within the last three months since we last spoke, yeah. I feel like it's become even more accepted than what it probably was three months ago. Yeah. Would you agree with that? Uh, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, as the dust settles, um, yeah, there's certainly a lot more acceptance. Yeah. So we'll go lots of places, but let's just start with if you wanted to just get into uh, having some cryptocurrency. Uh, maybe not so much specifying which type, like how does one go about the whole process? Like, do you go 
like do you go to the bank do you go to a website do you, do you yeah so banks are pretty unfriendly to cryptocurrencies but uh, you wouldn't expect to find them there um, just yet maybe one day you can so far the best places to find them are regulated and all exchanges in Australia and they're simply by going to a website uh, you can connect your bank account up to it you can buy it through uh, a credit card and a Visa MasterCard you can buy you know, as much as you want um, through those sources so they're the best ways I think the biggest issue right now Education is really understanding, like really highlighted. Uh, and there aren't too many places that you can go and get high level um, basic information that's really relatable to the, the current investor in the current environment. And that's a big issue that we want to solve at Crypto Consulting Institute. So, uh, you know, we deal with all types of investors, investors, intermediate and advanced. So that's really helpful. But, you know, I can't really point you in just one place to go, you know, learn about this through that source. I mean, you, there's so many different inputs you can take in. Um, with, with with something like crypto, I would seriously try and just take a step back and don't try and take it all in. It's way too much, way too complex. Dive in your research into Bitcoin. So that's the original cryptocurrency. Um, and just, just learn about it. Start to get to know it uh, and see why it's so important. Then you can start to merge into you know, other types of cryptocurrencies that spawn off the more speculative cryptocurrencies. So, yeah, that, that's probably my answer for that. Okay. Yeah. So, are uh, these exchanges, are these the sort of things that people might see, like, in ads, like, things like eToro and things like that, or are these different? Yeah, yeah, very similar. Um, but also, if, you've, if you're a supporter of the Western Bulldogs um, Football Club, uh, Coinspot is now a sponsor for that football club. So, that's an exchange, Coinspot. That's one of the trusted exchanges in Australia. Another one is uh, independent. <laughs> So um, there's, there's a broad acceptance now of cryptocurrency exchanges. Now that they're you know, regulated, there's a lot of that fear taken away. So you know they have to pass a lot of tests. They have to jump through a lot of hoops, especially to be even open in Australia now. Um, but part of what we do at Institute is educate you around security. So if you're buying cryptocurrency on these exchanges, a big issue you find with your investors is they're very complacent and they don't really understand how to correctly hold that crypto. So they may just go to CoinSpot, sign up for an account, do their full KYC, which is a customer, sign up, and they'll buy, let's just say, Bitcoin. Let's say they buy 10 grand of Bitcoin and leave it on the exchange. They're putting themselves open for risk of a hack because they're, they're literally giving their Bitcoin crypto, de facto their keys, to this exchange, and that's a third-party risk. So if that exchange, they have centralised service, if they get hacked or taken down for whatever reason, you lose that crypto. And if a hacker comes in and takes the, takes the Bitcoin off the exchange, you know, that's that's on them and they're not insured. There's only one exchange put my head that is insured or offers insurance and that's independent reserve. So that is something most businesses have no clue about. Because if you have a bank account and you have you know, a bunch of money in your bank account, bank gets robbed, all that money's insured. You know, it just comes back to the bank like, yeah, we, we got robbed and here's your money back. Like, you know, they have insurance. But with cryptocurrency exchanges, they're not at the point where they can get insurance because it is so risky, so speculative still. But that is improving. So back to the point about independent reserve, you can pay to get... Uh, so if you have an account, you can pay to be covered for a certain amount of your capital that's kept in that exchange. Yeah. Okay, so another thing that maybe people will... Maybe they've started... Because I've also noticed this. Some people try and dabble into this. Mm -hmm. And it's complicated, like if you go into an exchange, it's not like there's a big button that says buy here and mm. 
now you've made all the money, <laughs> which is what people kind of like probably assume that they're, yeah. yeah. So if you go into an exchange, yeah. um, you probably also see, um, you know, there's trading for other things there, right? Yeah, yeah, not just Bitcoin, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You can buy a lot of things. Um, but that's all on them. Uh, the exchange will do their due diligence on each of those assets and they want to list them. Yeah. Yeah. So somebody goes to an exchange and let's say we're talking about Bitcoin, they want to buy some Bitcoin. Uh, another big thing that often people don't understand is that you don't have to buy one Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. You buy a fraction. Yeah. So how minimal, you know, how does this exactly work? Is there a minimum investment that people have to do when they invest money into Bitcoin or cryptocurrency? So it will be dependent on the exchange for the minimum they leave, but generally it's $5. I think that is the lowest they'll go. Um, but you don't really want to buy $5 worth, if I'm honest, just because um, for each transaction you'll be copying a commission fee, plus you'll be copying um, a potential of a spread fee as well. So each exchange offers you a spot price that, uh, so they, they say quote you a price above, say Bitcoin worth 30 let's say 34,000 US dollars, they'll quote that slightly um, higher than the actual spot price because they're going to take a cut of that price. So that's called the spread. There's a difference between the the actual spot price on um, the global price of Bitcoin and the exchange's price because they want to make a little bit of a cut on top of the the price, if that makes sense. Yeah. How significant is the percentage that exchanges take from when you buy from... Um, it's, I mean, it's reasonable, but not not overly noticeable. Um, if you're buying a full Bitcoin, you will notice it. But if you're buying a fraction, like say, hundred dollars worth, it's maybe a dollar. Okay. Yeah. From that, um, but it varies on the exchange. Um, yeah. They'll each take because there are pros and cons with each exchange that are coming down there right now. One of the cheapest is Binance. That's it, it's international, but now they have an Australian division, and they're relatively the cheapest um, that we've found. Uh, but yeah, there are concerns with um, uh, their offshore holdings and things like that. So, you know, you can't really 100% sure of their auditing processes and um, regulation. Okay. So there's trade yeah. So once you have, like, a Bitcoin and you've, you've let's say you've invested, you've decided, I'm going to invest $1,000 on this yeah. Bitcoin, I have seen with people who invest that there's probably like different types. Some people will start checking their phone every two seconds to see <laughs> what's happened to their money. And then you have people who, uh, you know, maybe invest a bit more um, wisely and, you know, only invest an amount that they can just yep. uh, maybe recurringly invest like X amount each week. Oh, or, yeah. So what is the right approach to do if you're new to investing? Like, should you be looking at it all the time? Should you be telling yourself like, no, just check it. Is it the sort of thing that, um, you know, people, what are the different strategies like? Is it something that people just do and say, I'll invest, you know, X amount per week or per month or... Yeah, um, so that's a really great approach called dollar cost averaging. And yeah, it helps smooth out the volatility and that allows you to buy at an average price point. Because we all know, you hear about crypto, it's very volatile. And Bitcoin is very volatile, so it can oscillate the price move up and down, you know, 10, 20%. Um, sometimes in a day, I mean, that's relatively rare these days, but um, it can happen. So if you're investing, I think the the biggest thing you want to knock down first is your uh, long-term investment thesis or strategy. You want to say to yourself, look, if I'm going to buy this, if I actually think in 10 years this is going to be worth a lot more than it is today, just start investing now and don't worry about the price. Just buy increments, um, you know, scaling harder on dips. Um, so larger dips, you buy a little bit more 
but each week or month you do a recurring buy, you probably don't want to be looking at you know daily and to a degree weekly uh, because of those fees I mentioned. So you're copying the that commission fee every single time you do a transaction or buy. Uh, and then you're looking at network fees when you start to look at transferring large amounts of Bitcoin off the exchange to your hardware wallet, which is the secure version of holding the crypto. There are, there are ways of, of looking at it and removing the emotion. I think that's really important. You want to step back from the noise because if you buy today, let's say you go, you have all your money that you want to invest in Bitcoin, you want to do it all in one year. You go do that, you'll be looking at your phone all the time, you'll be worried about the volatility. You'll, you're putting all your eggs in one basket. Bitcoin goes lower, you're, not, you're going to be missing that opportunity. And if Bitcoin goes high, I mean, happy days, but you're taking the risk. You don't want to ever go all in. And that, that's probably, that's just my opinion, my interpretation, but it's very, very risky to, especially in crypto, to go all in all at once. It's, um, yeah, rarely would be. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so when people are doing, what is a normal amount of like, uh, what's the recurrence of like investment that people, I guess, would traditionally yeah. do? Is it every month? Is it X? How many? What's... Yeah, um, so the clients we work with and, um, and to a degree myself as well, we, well, they do uh, weekly and monthly buys. Um, I, in the past, have done um, you know, daily, weekly, monthly. So I've tried it all fortnightly, it all works. But, um, I mean, a good way of doing it is, if again, if you believe that this is something you want to hold for the long term, um, take a percentage of your, your salary that you know, you're not going to miss or it's your disposable income. Take a percentage of it, don't go crazy. Just put it aside each week or each fortnight, put it together, send it to the exchange, buy the crypto, put it to a hard wallet, you know, forget about it. But you want to be doing your research and making sure you're comfortable with that investment. But yeah, a lot of people, they buy in this market in a real peak state. And we saw that when Bitcoin was at 60000 65000 Everyone wanted to buy Bitcoin or anything called a cryptocurrency back in that peak state, of course. Now that the price has basically halved and we're in a, a real solid consolidation area and we're ranging and shaking out a lot of people, and a lot of people are panicking and selling. Um, how, much, how much is the price right now? The moon, yeah, right so in US dollars, so it was got up to 65 roughly um, at its height and then it's dropped down to was it, 32.6 at the moment. Yeah, so in theory, right now would be a good time to buy. Well, yeah, that's what I was going to bring up. These market psychology is a really funny thing. So, yeah, everyone wants to buy in a peak state, and suddenly the price is halved, and no one wants to buy. It's really funny how it works. Um, you've got, you know, you may have done all your research, you're very confident with your purchase at 60000 and suddenly you've got half, you've got it on sale, and everyone's running out of the shop. Yeah. It's pretty wild. That's really interesting. Yeah. These are the, so these are the moments, just to add that, these are the moments of maximum financial opportunity. Well, this, that's, I think, I'm, I'm talking as somebody who, like, really enjoys risk, so yeah. I don't think people should take my advice on this, but, okay, let, let's go down that, let's go down that rabbit hole. So, uh, I had a, I had, I've had probably a few situations in my life where, um, so I've been an entrepreneur for 11 years now, I was really young at starting this at uh, 21 mm. and I never really thought about uh, the uh, personality traits that maybe lead somebody to uh, business ownership and uh, some of the positive uh, maybe or some of the personality traits that can make you successful at this is uh, having a high tolerance for risk however as I grew older and 
you know, realize that um, maybe I carry that personality across different aspects of my life. Um, that high tolerance for risk uh, doesn't just apply to business decisions. For me, it has applied to other things. And uh, some of those things in the past were uh, probably affected me negatively. Now, the reason why I bring this up is uh, what can anyone be a good investor or do have you noticed that there is a certain type of person that makes a good investor? We're going deep here. Yeah, no, that's right. um, anyone can be a good investor in any of the conditions. And right now, I just see a throng of uneducated investors hitting this market. Well, in fact, it, that was before. So at 65,000, even, even when it was sort of going out to 50 or 40, there's just a flood of new people and they have no idea what they're doing. They're coming in wanting to be open on millionaires when they're uninformed about one, what they're buying, and two, what cryptocurrency is they don't understand the volatility and when they get hit with volatility because um, it cuts both ways you want to buy something that has an asymmetric return so you know the downside risk so for right now bitcoin 32,600 you, you are aware that you could lose it could go to zero they can't go lower than that but the upside of bitcoin is absolutely massive the same with other cryptocurrencies because it's essentially venture capital in a lot of respects um, but in technology so um yeah so i've gone off topic there what was the um so I, I was trying to find out if you've noticed that there is like maybe a certain type of person that does well as an investor. Yeah, um, it's funny. It's the extremes, um, the conservative investor and the incredible risk takers. Um, if you're in between, you're indecisive and you're paralyzed by uh, yeah, indecision. Um, paralysis by analysis, I think is a good line. Uh, but yeah, the incredible risk takers, especially some we work with within our advanced group, I mean, they take incredible risk, but they have made obscene amounts of money um, because they're prepared to do that. And, and they're not being real silly. I mean, you know, hedging their, the risks where they can, but they are aware of their risk profiles and they go hard. When they see an opportunity, they go hard. They don't mess around. They just go for it. They gun it. And then on the other side, and I probably put myself more in this bracket. I'm more conservative. Investor, just from my own personal experiences, maybe with my my family and, and whatnot. I've seen how things can go pretty badly uh, when you over leverage yourself, uh, especially in the 2008 financial crisis in terms of housing. And so I'm just naturally more conservative. And you say, well, you're investing in crypto. That's that's not really conservative. But when you're in the industry, you can really sort the bad apples and the, the blue chips from the incredibly risky shit that you want to stay well away from. Uh, and, and for me, I, I've, I've, in my opinion, I've worked that out in, in my estimation for the long term. Um, you, and it's all based on risk profiles, in, in my opinion. You, you can make your portfolio larger in lower risk areas, which you still think have pretty big upside, and then you can start to downsize the back ends of your portfolio in smaller balances that have the ridiculous upside potentials. And that work and that work out, but you haven't put all your capital in that one basket. So. Yeah, in a very short nutshell, it's, it's all about managing your risk. Um, and, and of course, this is just one aspect of a balanced portfolio. This could be your crypto basket, could be your higher risk basket. And elsewhere, you, you invest in gold, you know, precious other precious metals, you've got real estate, you've got a cash hoard as well. So, you know, you, you sort of balance there if anything happens in traditional finance. Because whatever happens in traditional finance, okay, anyone says it impacts crypto, when you analyze the markets. If the S&P 500 and the Nasdaq suddenly crash overnight, crypto still has risk on asset class, and that's that's meaning that 
crypto is regarded as a risk, and so a lot of the capital that's going in there, it's it's a lot of sophisticated investor money, it's a lot of funds, you know, that sort of stuff. They can suddenly pull their liquidity from that market and move it out. They can go back into cash real quickly for security, and that's what you see a lot. So it's like a domino effect. Uh, and, you know, the S&P, NASDAQ, so stocks, all around, not all around the world, but let's say the US stock market has just been going up, just in you know, an absolute parabolic bull market mainly from QE and other fiscal policy decisions. Crypto has been in that mode with that stock market for this last 10 to 12 years. We've never really seen a stock market that's been absolutely thrashed and crypto being alive during that phase. So I just caution a lot of investors that we've only seen the good times um, in a lot of this. So you do have to be aware of the cycle and the correlations and things like that. But uh, that's what I'm aware of currently because I feel like we are and this is probably going off on another tangent, but I feel like we are accelerating towards a big financial event in the in the traditional finance sense. Um, you know, debt bubbles, all that sort of coming to a nice conclusion. And COVID's just been the, the match on fire. Oh, absolutely. That's exactly what I was going to mention. Like the uh, the impact that things are going to happen when the economies economies settle a little bit more after the world starts going back into just more, more normality, which it still hasn't fully gone back to. Mm. Yep, 100%. We'll see how it all lines out. But yeah, a bit late. So there's, there's a lot there. So I'm a person, I'm a human, maybe I wear silk boxes. Simple sense. Silk, 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 silk boxes, maybe I don't. <laughs> Go on an exchange online. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we'll bring it right back. <laughs> on the interwebs, I decided I'm going to buy some Bitcoin. Yep. I've figured out how I'm going to, whether I'm going to be an extreme person or a conservative, conservative human. Yeah. Now with, I mean, this, I know, I know that all these questions have huge, it depends if, uh, and you know, the disclaimer of like, this is not financial advice, etc. Asterisk. Asterisk. But you know, how long do people normally uh, invest in something like Bitcoin? Is it something that's like a short term, but you know, you just, you're in it for a couple of years and then you get out or is it something, uh, you know, is it just unknown yet because it's so new? Yeah, uh, the majority of people I speak to, uh, once they learn about Bitcoin, they don't want to hold anything else. And they will literally lock up millions of dollars in Bitcoin and hold it for the next 10 years. That's not saying that they won't liquidate portions of it, um, you know, as we move forward. And you'd be silly not to in some respects. You'd want to take some profits along the way. Um, but the most people I speak to are holding Bitcoin for five years, and that, that's why I think. Once you dive down the rabbit hole, you, you never um, go back on that feeling of Bitcoin. Once you learn about it, you're like, oh my God, the whole world has changed, and this is the future. And you just have to have conviction, and it will eventually work out. Um, and of, of course, it may not. I, I, I do acknowledge that. But uh, for me, I've done my research. My conviction is very strong. And a, a lot of the investors I speak to is exactly the same. And they're, they're using the, uh, like you say, the real speculative cryptocurrencies uh, underneath Bitcoin and Ethereum and, and others to farm more Bitcoin, so to make more of it, because they need to accumulate it. Um, because there's 21 million in the world, it's, it's being sucked up at a rate. We're going to take a small break here, guys, and then we're going to come back and continue this conversation.
we are back. We um, we just quickly checked to see what kind of underwear we were, me and Sam were wearing. <laughs> <laughs> that may or may not have happened. We were not disappointed. We were not. Uh, so, we are back and should. All right. So there's there's a popular figure in in the news often that uh, a lot of people follow, and I think probably creates a lot of volatility in the cryptocurrency world. I'm nodding. I'm nodding everyone. <laughs> uh, I feel like he probably came in as a bit of a saviour to it and now it's, uh, I think, turned into a bit of a double-edged sword. Yeah. Should people be following and listening to Elon Musk as far as... Uh, Financial advice. Yeah, as far as what he thinks <laughs> in relation to <laughs> cryptocurrency. No, uh, it's something I spoke about this week on a uh, public video I did for the Institute and it's um, hero worship is not a good uh, investment strategy. Um, there is an element of hero worship towards Elon Musk. Oh, I, I love Elon Musk. I really respect him in everything he does. Uh, but he is an incredible shit poster on Twitter. And I think he has to realize that whenever he posts about something, people will follow and listen to what he says. And he's aware that Dogecoin is a massive joke. Uh, and also uh, Shiba Inu and Baby Doge and all these uh, you know little offshoot coins. And hello, everyone. <laughs> uh, yeah, and, and he posts about it and, uh, you know, says that it's going to be the next, you know, global reserve currency and, and all this stuff. And, and all these uneducated investors that follow him on Twitter will go out and buy that cryptocurrency immediately. And yeah, you see some serious pumps, but a lot of these coins, and I, I actually looked today, I just typed in uh, Doge and Baby Doge onto um, one of the crypto tracks I look at. And uh, I'm not kidding, 500 offshoot cryptocurrencies have been created from from dogecoin to try and take advantage of all this interest this speculative interest crap and they're all absolutely crap um, and you're going to lose a lot of money by investing in them so how d how do offshoots come off from dogecoin how does that work well you can just well I, I wouldn't know how to do it but if you're a programmer or a coder you could just copy the code of dogecoin and create your own cryptocurrency okay because dogecoin has an unlimited supply but you can it's a open protocol so you can uh, you know, I don't know how you do it. You'd ha again, you'd have to be a coder programmer, but you could copy the code and create your own cryptocurrency and just call it whatever you want, uh, Railcoin, Samcoin. And uh, yeah, that's that's what's happened. And uh, yeah, a lot of uneducated investors, uh, especially on Facebook and Twitter, they're getting um, quite upset with Elon Musk if you look in his comments and replies. You know, I've lost all my money thanks to you. Uh, I've lost my house thanks to you. All this kind of stuff. When Elon, he he's a very eccentric person and he jokes around a lot. Um, and you need to recognize that. Um, you know, Tesla bought over a billion dollars worth of Bitcoin and still owns it. Um, and he was doing a lot of shit posting about Bitcoin uh, as well. But, you know, they haven't sold anything. They're working through some issues that they have surrounding the environmental concerns. And, you know, that's all fine. But, uh, yeah, with the real speculative aspect of the market, when it gets into a real peak peak state that's what mania looks like where everyone and this is, was reflective of my dms um for a while there it wasn't sam this crypto thing how do i um how can i educate myself how can i uh buy some bitcoin and just get into this space slowly or you know something along those lines it was hey sam what do you think of shiba inu coin or what do you think of uh dogecoin um am i going to be a millionaire if i start buying this? should i buy now you know it it grabs everyone in this this mania phase and a lot of people waste a lot of money on it and don't know how to get themselves out of it when the market turns from a bull trend to a bear trend and then a bear market and i'm not saying we're in a bear market but we are definitely in a bear trend 
And these periods of the market are designed to take those people by the throat and shake them until they sell. That is what these periods of the market do. And if you don't understand how the liquidity works, so if Bitcoin is unstable, everything underneath Bitcoin drops twice as hard. So if you don't understand that, you buy an altcoin, which any an altcoin is anything but Bitcoin. If you start buying and speculating on all those, but don't understand what's happening in the market cycle, you can get destroyed. Uh, so there are massive risks that you need to be around um, in this market. Because that's happened a few times, right? Like where there's been people who or companies that decide to start their own cryptocurrency thing and then they just fold and people lose their money, correct? Uh, do you have an example, sir? Uh, I don't, but I definitely feel like I've heard and seen this. Yeah. There's there's a lot of misinformation, okay. especially in mainstream media in regards to that. Um, okay. Because a lot of these companies are just scam companies okay. in terms of yeah so I'll just go into that there was one in South Africa there was also uh, one in South America uh, they're popping up a lot and there was a two in Turkey as well and these are let's say what we were talking about before the exchanges so a coin spot right so in these countries they'd market themselves as an exchange or a trading platform and they'd say buy your Bitcoin here or if you invest with us you'll get a ridiculous return each week compounding daily or some some crap uh, let's just focus on exchange. If they're marketing themselves as an exchange, you're connecting your your bank to them, you're moving your money through them, you're buying crypto and storing it there. What happened was in this South African version was the two creators of this quote-unquote exchange just one day shut the thing down and walked away. And they had total control of everyone's private keys which were on the exchange and just walked away with everyone's crypto. And that's that's a real big thing that people need to realise in this space. Not your keys, not your crypto. If you give a third party access to your cryptocurrency, it's like putting your um, bank account number and password on a counter table in a busy cafe and walking away. I mean, anyone can take it. So you have to take personal financial responsibility. If any of those investors on that ex South African exchange, let's say, uh, pulled their crypto off and put it in a hardware wallet, they wouldn't have lost their money. But because they were sort of uneducated about the whole thing, maybe dabbling, getting into it, that's the third party risk you need to be aware of. Now, there's other scams out there that you'll probably hear a lot in mainstream media. Oh, you know, this Bitcoin scam takes $500 million from investors, right? That would be along the lines of a, uh, yeah, a, a front, like a, a scam front, again, saying if you deposit a thousand US dollars on here, we'll make you you know, one Bitcoin within a month or something like that. And then you see this, you know, scam snowball effect where all these pyramid schemes, everyone's rolling in with all their cash and they just run away with the US dollars. In many respects, crypto scams are not crypto scams even in the slightest. They're just traditional fiat scams. They just take your fiat, you know, USD, AUD, pound, whatever. You pay them and they just run away with your, your cash. When they've got enough cash, they'll run away with it. Some people are allowed to withdraw little bits and pieces to avoid too much suspicion. And some are allowed to withdraw more, but then eventually, and I'm seeing it a lot, and it, it's horrible, but a lot of these are now shutting down because the market is now at a lower ebb. There's that peak state sort of gone out, the mania's gone, there's not a lot of as much interest as there was previously. So a lot of these scams are reaching their um, peak and they're starting to close. And yeah, it's uh, yeah not good. So you want to be educated. So how does one know to not fall for... Uh, is it just go back going back to what you said, like just become educated about which other ones that are um, accredited here in Australia? Yes. How do you it, how do you know not to fall for one of these kind of scams? I think the issue is that this space is so new that it's really hard to know. 
um, where to go and that's why you probably want to seek professional guidance on this um, but you do want to do your research before you do anything make sure that um, they have the right accreditation from the right people in, in Australia if you're going outside of Australia you want to make sure they've got the right government um, uh, oversight and audits from let's say the United States have got SEC approval yeah, all that so yeah, it, it is It is a difficult one because it's so hard for new investors to know the difference between um, a shoddy platform exchange and a good one. So, yeah, it's it's difficult. Um, on face value, if you do your research, yeah, it, it's fine. Um, but, yeah, there's difficulties. I think it's a, it's a real shame because it is like an area that so many people just don't know much about. And yeah. I do feel like it's... Uh, probably created a bit of a stigma for some people. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I guess it's just one of those things where you need to educate yourself and get as much knowledge as you can before you make a decision. Mm. I, th- I think another probably, uh, I think this would be safe to say, everyone who I've spoken to who maybe has uh, actually works in the financial sector in relation to this sort of stuff is always mm. very hesitant to actually give me any <laughs> direct <laughs> advice as to what <laughs> I should do. And... Um, Often, a lot of these scams kind yep. of literally go like, invest this and you'll make this by then. Yep. Would that be like a pretty safe way to know like, hey, oh, this, absolutely. this you, is you probably like could, not legit? Yeah, you could know a crypto scam straight off the bat if they are promising. If anyone guarantees you any kind of return at all in cryptocurrency, they are lying. Uh, and if they are then saying that they can compound those returns at a, at a rate, no, nah, t- they are just trying to scam you for your money. Like not even some of the best funds in the world, professional traders, etc they cannot guarantee returns themselves. So you want to be very, very careful. If you want to invest in this asset class, you need to do your research and then buy it as if it was an equity or, or you know anything else. You just don't want to be throwing money at something you do not understand. Yep, 100%. But La- traditional, sorry, just to interrupt, traditional finance folks are yeah, very um, hesitant to provide any information on that. Um, but then again, a lot of traditional finance folks own some kind of cryptocurrency um, there, there's a growing segment of traditional finance folks that own it as a hedge just in case uh, they're wrong or just in case uh, it's like um, you see the financial markets at the moment in case all the mainstream economists all that are wrong you need to have some kind of hedge against it and even if it's just a small portion of your portfolio you'd buy Bitcoin, you'd buy gold, you, you know, you, you'd hedge that risk. And that's that's what you say. Okay. Hmm. Last time that you were on, hmm. we, we didn't touch on it, but we were going to talk about NFTs. Uh, yes. <laughs> I I understand them better. Okay, cool. While also not, still not fully understanding. But I can also see how just because I don't understand it now, it won't be something that will just be and we'll just accept in the future correct yeah and i think that's that's probably like a pretty exciting slash scary space yep. to be in so uh yeah let's discuss that yeah so what is an what is an nft for anyone who doesn't know what it is yeah non-fungible token so it's a token pegged to a digital asset um, or an asset so yeah in a nutshell so essentially because some people somebody might hear that and it still might mean nothing to them yep so let's say that I post a picture of Sam today mm-hmm. on Instagram yep. and <laughs> I create an NFT <laughs> for uh, it, it would sell and, for and then 
we add touch value to that yes. and then I can sell that to someone and say, hey, this is yeah. your thing. But essentially, like, there are things that are being sold that mm. I guess people in the past didn't think would be sold and that have quite a lot of value. Mm. And I guess a lot of the value that's created there is speculative value, like, yep. or it's the value that the person who's buying it is, oh, atta- is, yeah, yeah. is attaching to it. Yeah. Um, which I guess when I first heard about it brought all these questions uh, that I thought were very reminiscent of probably what's happened a lot in the crypto space where something, I guess a lot of these sort of new uh, ways of making financial transactions Mm. um, are just in this space where there isn't something attached to it. It's like the... Magic internet something. Exactly, right. So, what are your thoughts on N- NFTs? Like, um, they're obviously like a pretty volatile area. Uh, and yeah, yeah what, are, what are your thoughts on it? I'll give you my, my broad thoughts. So, when when NFTs were first <coughs> coming out, I felt it's funny how much cycles mirror themselves. I thought this was the new bubble. Um, I thought it was a massive bubble when it was happening, um, and it, it turned out to be a big bubble as well. So, people were just uh, minting, and that's that's the word you do it. They're minting. NFT, so you, like you're saying, a picture of me, you could go on the Ethereum mainnet, you could go through a protocol and you could mint uh, a NFT token pegged to my picture and then you could sell that token on a NFT exchange, right? And during the peak phase of the market, so up, Bitcoin's up 65,000, know, everything's roaring, some NFTs of just, I'm not kidding, like MS Word Art or whatever, just some random crap was on these exchanges for like five Ethereum plus. So, you know, Ethereum at one point was worth about, what, four and a half thousand US dollars. So we're talking tens of thousands of US dollars. People were buying just digital crap. That, that's, that's literally my, my opinion of it. I'm looking at it going, this makes no sense. This looks exactly like a speculative bubble. Um, and it looks exactly like the ICO bubble 2017. I was just kind of glad that it wasn't, so big that it had the potential to be a systemic risk to the overall crypto market because it was such a small niche. It's one of those things where you go, yeah, this has potential in the future because there are some um, decent aspects of NFTs, maybe music and, uh, uh, you know, like NBA Top Shots and the things like that. There are some interesting aspects that could be a real big thing in the future, but it's not now. It's These things work so cyclically, it's not funny. Um, like DeFi, decentralized finance, couple of years ago it came out everyone's like oh this is the new financial system it's going to be crazy and it had so many good as- aspects about it you could see yeah five ten years from now it's going to be amazing but it's and the speculation the hype everyone was getting really wealthy off off their investments in it and then it, the, it pops it's like this little mania bubble and it pops and then after that when it falls off a cliff the mania is gone that's when the real building and the investment can be, be uh, can begin the real good projects will remain the shit is flushed out and, uh, you know, what's left over is going to be what's the blue chips for the next, you know, um, five to ten years. And, of course, there'll be a new things that pop up as well that might try and leverage the space and, and work within it really well. And that's where I saw NFTs. I thought, well, this this is great. It's a bit of a bubble. It's going to pop. And I'm going to be interested in it in the next phase when it's had its flush out and stuff. So that's kind of now, um, uh, if not within the next 12 months. So, um, yeah, uh, again, I, I think NFTs are really interesting. Um, but I'm not, and, and I do have some investments in NFTs. I think the 
uh, the interesting side for me and why I invested in certain um, protocols and companies was that they had real-world partnerships. So things like Marvel, Superman, Ghostbusters, all, all that kind of stuff. They're digital collectibles. And that's what interests me because there is an actual market for that. People are actually going a bit crazy over digital collectibles um, in a virtual space, in a virtual world. So you can put on your, um, your virtual reality goggles and you can turn to a portion in your room. You can have actually a safe in your room and you open it up and you've got uh, digital action figures and all this kind of stuff. Now, to me, I don't, that's not me. I don't really care about owning that sort of stuff. But you can see the growth. You can see the trend there. You can see that a lot of people will like this and will take it a lot further. Um, there's also a really great use case, and this is where I see NFTs absolutely going crazy in the next few years, is gaming. That's exactly where I see it going. Um, that, that will be the real driver because a lot of games right now operate within walled gardens, internal servers where... I mean, you've heard how many gamers out there on the internet um, get uh, items, digital items like weapons and, and costumes and things like in-game. They win them and they sell for a lot in, in that game itself or there's some transaction that goes on within the game. But what if you could take that digital item, put an NFT token to it, you know, get outside the walled garden and suddenly every single game on the planet, you can start trading between them in a marketplace. I mean... That's a that's a probably a hundred billion dollar idea um, or industry that might eventually um, come. Like you see, yeah, those games, uh, Fortnite, uh, World of Warcraft, all those games, the money that's getting getting exchanged for you know weapons and, and different things like that is just is absolutely mind blowing. So, if you can bring that together and create a global twenty four seven instantaneous transaction marketplace, wow, you've got something going there. And that's really really interesting to me. Yeah, look, I. Th- so the way that I've thought about this, or the way that I have tried to relate to it, is I saw this happen when Instagram, maybe a couple of years ago with Instagram. Mm-hmm. So uh, as someone who's been a marketer and worked in that uh, field for a bit, there was like this really hot little opportunity for a while where uh, we live in a world where we've given a lot of praise to like how many followers and uh, the number next to your uh, next to your profile, right? Yep. And there was a there was a period in time, uh, maybe less now than I think there might have been, where that number was uh, like very indicative indicative of a value of a yep. person, almost to some degree, right? 100%. So if you're a company, you want to uh, work with an influencer because you want that influencer to influence their audience, right? And there was a time there where people probably had a lot more influence than maybe they do now because there was less people trying to be influencers. Mm. Um, and I saw this moment in time where there was no understanding of like how to pay an influencer. So there yep. was like like a lot of money to be made uh, by certain people in that space. Um, but then what eventually started happening was a lot of people, uh, everyone gets inf- everyone gets sold to now on on whether it be Instagram or TikTok or, or different types of uh, maybe these younger platforms and the actual value of like an influencer started decreasing because yep. it just in itself started regulating it. Yes. So, you know, anyone could sell anything and it would probably be successful and then mm-hmm. all of a sudden like the market changes and the value of that correct change. Yeah. So that yeah. It's very similar to NFTs actually. Yep. Um, there was too much supply on the market for the buyers and eventually the supply overwhelmed the demand and that's exactly how 
um, I guess ICOs back in 2017 happened, but that's how manias and bubbles burn themselves out. I guess there's never, there's the the supply maintains constant, but the buyers start to drop off. They can't maintain those current price levels, and then you see a real drop. So yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Somebody is at this stage of the podcast, and now they're like, okay, I'm keen on some Bitcoin. <laughs> back to the exchange. You back back to the exchange. <laughs> So I want some Bitcoin, maybe some yeah. silk boxes. <laughs> <laughs> maybe this person's feeling a bit frisky. Yeah, there you go. What would be the other thing that somebody, what would be some of the other main things that are maybe more traditional in the cryptocurrency world, if that even is a thing that people should uh, be going to or, or maybe wanting to seek more information on or edu- that you would like to see people get educated on? You know, things like Ethereum and would that be one of those? Yeah, Ethereum would be. Um so maybe the difference between different cryptocurrencies. I think there's a lot of stigma around you know, quote-unquote cryptocurrencies, but there's, there's just so many different niches. And, and at the end of the day, it, uh, so cryptocurrency is a technolo- technological inve- invention. And I mean, a lot of people just think it's a, just a, a made-up you know, fairy tale thing. But when you dive into it, it's an incredibly powerful tool. Uh, and, and yeah, you've, you've got Bitcoins of the world, which... They either want to be a store of value or a currency, and then you then you dive into Ethereum, which is kind of a, a protocol where you build uh, other protocols and apps on top of it, and then you've got whole industries now being uh, now flourishing on it, like DeFi, decentralized finance. That's really interesting, and I think that's where traditional finance will. I think that's the gateway into cryptocurrencies. Traditional finance is really warming up to Bitcoin, don't get me wrong, but they are seriously warming up to Ethereum uh, based on the popularity of DeFi and locked away value. So currently there was, I believe there's something like the peak, there was about $120 billion in USD locked away on Ethereum in DeFi protocols. So DeFi, I don't know if you're aware of what it is, it's basically the traditional financial system, but on a blockchain and decentralized. So there's no bank in between anything Anywhere in the world you can get access to really quick, cheap capital and liquidity. So if you're in Venezuela or uh, another country with a really shitty currency, you and you say you own some Bitcoin, you can go onto a DeFi protocol, or if you own Ethereum, you can you know, stake your Ethereum or Bitcoin as collateral. You can take out a loan against that Bitcoin immediately in US dollars. And you can take that, pay your bills, do whatever, all that kind of stuff. You can also uh, lend your crypto out. You can also lend US dollar stable coins, which are cryptocurrencies pegged to um, the US dollar. So you can stake them. So currently, if you're looking at banks and savings accounts, um, right now across the world, there's negative yielding debt everywhere. Your, your savings accounts mostly are around 1% or less. You might have a savings account which will yield you a little bit more than that, but generally around the world, savings accounts are on the decline in terms of yield. So there's more appetite for people to take risk. They take their money out of the bank account, their savings, and they explore other options to try and seek that yield, right? Right now, in DeFi, decentralized finance, you're not relying on a bank to get your return. They're putting that money on overnight um, trading accounts and making yield that way. You you can go into banking and see how they, they deal with your money. It's pretty crazy. But on a decentralized protocol, it's a trustless system where you put your, let's just say, US dollar stable coins on there and stake, that gets lent out to someone else who's taken out for a loan and you earn a yield that way. And right now, that yield on decentralized finance is around 4x what you can get in a savings account. Uh, There is risk, but it's getting a lot better. And you can also insure that risk. So 
decentralized finance is pretty wild in what is capable in the future. Um, and, and just right now across the world, in so many countries, there's so many people who are unbanked. They can't ac get access to a bank account at all. El Salvador, 70% of the population is unbanked. They've now adopted Bitcoin as legal tender. So it's their national currency now. We probably didn't talk about that before, but it's probably one of the biggest pieces of news. Yeah, how, how does that affect El Salvador? Yeah, so one of the biggest problems that El Salvador saw, because they have a US dollar standard, they don't have their own currency anymore. They have a US dollar standard, but they see what's happening in the US in terms of their money printing and uh, a lot of the craziness that they're doing with their monetary supply. And they're thinking to themselves, well, we have their currency, but we have no control over what they do with the currency. So we're in a bit of trouble 10 years, 20 years down the road from now. Let's be proactive and try and get something in that we might have some, con well, get something in that they can uh, have some say over. And so they, they brought in Bitcoin and mainly because a lot of the people that work in El Salvador actually work in the United States and they earn US dollars and they send that money back to El Salvador. Now, who's sitting in the middle? Remittance companies and they take a ridiculous amount of transfers. I don't know if you've ever tried to transfer money. Uh, yeah, yeah, I've like it's yeah. crazy. Yeah, it's like insane. Western, you're talking uh, like Western, Western Union, Union and oh things like God, that. Oh my God, absolute pricks. Oh, I tried to pay for our wedding in Vietnam and they took around 20% uh, through um, yeah. US dollar exchanges and all that. Yeah, everyone knows how bad it is. But if you are working hand to mouth and you're sending whatever little you can make back to your country and they're taking 20 to 50% of that transfer just for sitting in the middle as the monopoly, that is totally wrong. And El Salvador, the government there is pretty progressive. The president's a 30-year-old, uh, pretty into technology. He's now a Bitcoiner himself. He loves what's happening there. And yeah, he, he made it legal tender. And he realized that if they adopt Bitcoin and especially the Lightning Network, which allows instantaneous transactions and almost fee-less transactions, that would bring a heck of a lot of money back into the economy. If all that money being transferred back to the United States, suddenly 30% more out on average, let's say, goes into the pockets of the people in El Salvador, yeah, it brings it back in the economy. So you're getting what I'm saying there. Another really great point is that 70% who are unbanked in El Salvador, the smartphone penetration is actually incredibly high in El Salvador. So anyone with a smartphone can now come into the economy because you can just have a Bitcoin wallet on your smartphone, you have access to the internet, you can start paying you know, between people and doing all that, but they can't get access to a bank account. So the traditional financial system is dead to them. They don't do it, use it anyway. In fact, Bitcoin was flourishing in many communities in El Salvador uh, before this announcement. So it's being sort of being trialed and, and used, and it's really taking off like wildfire. We'll, we'll see a, a, year down from the uh, a year down from now whether it's a success or failure, but it could take a little bit longer than that. But the signs are incredibly positive, and the next country to potentially do this is uh, Tonga. Okay. Yeah. So that's really interesting. That is very interesting. Yeah. I think one of the elephants in the room mm. is, do you think that governments will try to push back harder against Bitcoin as it starts to take a bigger market share? 100%. Uh, absolutely. It, it, that is um, That goes hand in hand with the El Salvador announcement. So it's El so a sovereign nation adopting Bitcoin, I, had, I, I just can't believe it's happened this early, this cycle. I expected it a few cycles down the road. This is just insane. I, I cannot believe it's happened. The, it's a massive positive for Bitcoin, <laughs> obviously. Um, but the bearish side of things so that the negatives are this now propels itself onto the big stage this is now in the big leagues so bitcoin is now a 
this magic internet money is suddenly you know gaining year on year it's gaining users year on year it's just growing 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 like a probably the traditional financial system things are growing like a cancer uh and it's it's just exponential you can see the trend it's going up up and up and yeah i, I can't see the bank of international settlements the imf central bankers around the world they already hate it but now that it's legal tender it introduces all these different aspects and variables that you don't really expect for instance now that is a uh, a national currency it now has to be regarded in many respects as a foreign currency in other nations around um, so the united states may actually have to look at changing bitcoin from a you know property asset to a foreign currency which removes the capital gains aspect of bitcoin so instead of let's say in australia if you're paying your capital gains tax um, once you sell bitcoin that may be gone and you may be paying a, a tax that you normally would get if you're at an airport and exchanging your AED for US dollars. You get my drift. So yeah. there's all these knock-on effects. It is absolutely wild. Um, but that being said, the the attack vectors are now huge and the stakes have never been higher. Um, it, it, Bitcoin is showing that it, it can be, it is it's being stress tested like you wouldn't believe right now. And that's a great thing. Um, but it, uh, for instance, you're saying government's flying back. Let's look at the IMF, the International Monetary Fund, right? They went to El Salvador after they passed the bill within 24 hours. They, had, they knew they had to get it through quick or a lot of these nations would really act up. Uh, the IMF came to El Salvador days later and, and said to the president, I was listening to the president on Twitter. This is the great thing about Twitter. He's on spaces and you can listen to the whole thing go down. And he said, the IMF came to me days after and said, that billion dollar loan we were going to give your country we're reconsidering it because you've adopted Bitcoin. And he basically said, well, you know, this is the reason why we're going to Bitcoin because we want to get out of this centralized fiat monetary controlled system where we have no say in it. And you're basically threatening us for bringing more of our own countrymen into um, our economy. You know, th there's, it's so many net positives, it's not funny. It's an open source protocol. Um, and, you know, they can't um, manipulate it either. They can't manipulate Bitcoin. So. So that's really interesting. And then the next day, the president of El Salvador came out and s to basically give the middle finger to the IMF because um, that billion-dollar loan would be very useful and they still need it. They're now going to mine Bitcoin with geothermal energy. They have a volcano in El Salvador that they're going to mine Bitcoin with and they're going to create what's called volcano bonds. So with the future proceeds of the Bitcoin mining through this geothermal energy, they're going to peg to the bond and that future price projection is going to be a yield and they'll sell those bonds to whoever wants it and the revenue from that will more than make up for the IMF's billion dollar loan. So you can see a lot of these smaller nations are now actually being pushed in a way through uh, being incentivized to do better things for their economy. And I think it's really wild what's happening. Um, it's almost like the world's, uh, well, a lot of the nations that have been very downtrodden by the current financial system and US dollar hegemony are seeing a way out and they're fighting back. And it's a peaceful protest. It's a absolute, it doesn't require guns, bullets, violence. It is just the fact of making it available to their citizens and they'll see it flourish. I have no doubt about that. And bans do not work. And we've seen that in Nigeria uh, where <coughs> the government and central banks ban Bitcoin, trading, holding it, whatever. The usage and transactions in Nigeria actually went up. So they banned it, went up because their currency is so worthless right now that the population needed something to, you know, day-to-day -day remittance live their lives. And they went to Bitcoin and other crypto. Usage just went through the roof. You can't destroy or ban Bitcoin unless you destroy the internet. 
And that's what a lot of people don't get. And that's why governments can't just go, bang, it's dead. They'd have to crush every single node on the planet and that's just not possible. Um, and they'd have to shut down the internet. So you can see when you think of it like that, it is in a way almost unstoppable. And I'll say almost, because there's always a chance. There's always a risk, something could happen, right? But in my eyes, it's just going to consume the financial world and crypto is going to be huge. Um, in the next 10, 20 years, it's going to be a slow burn, but there's going to be these booms and busts all over again. It's very cyclical. Because in another four years, Bitcoin's supply to market halves again, and we're just going to see this supply shock again because there's only 21 million, and eventually they will run out. What? That's my next question. Do you see a future where Bitcoin becomes the main, like, I guess, financial... Store of value, a unit yeah. of account? Um, is that is that even day. something that's possible that with it, you know with it only being twenty one million? Yeah, yeah. Um, because it's divisible, it can be fractionized all the way down. I think one day it will be everyone's savings account that's trustless and in cyberspace, where it, you know it can't be manipulated, can't be uh, controlled by any one government or entity, <coughs> and that provides a lot of security for a lot of people around the world. I think it's going to be a massive net positive. If you don't want to use it, you don't have to. Like that's if you want it, banks and governments will still exist in their you know in forms, but they'll have to work, figure out ways to either leverage it or do their own thing. And of course, there'll be people that want to trust the state with their money, <coughs> and there may be higher yields to do that. So you may banks may offer you an incredible yield to keep your money in say a US dollar account or you know whatnot, which you can, or you can keep it in Bitcoin and maybe you know expect that it's still going to go up but eventually bitcoin's volatility will smooth out as the price gets higher and higher and higher the volatility will smooth out and that's just what will happen with the market cap that's that's my opinion and that's when it will become more of a currency because the volatility will lessen but uh <coughs> that's that's we're talking crazy valuations when it gets up to that but um oh it's going to be fun to watch it play out I, I, yeah i i think there will be a point in time where something like it if, if Bitcoin doesn't succeed, I'd be very uh, surprised, but you know, it wouldn't matter. I mean, it's <laughs> it's an interesting experiment. Um, personally, I just love seeing every single central banker, um, mainstream media just lose their mind over it. Like, it is hysterical, um, especially when they call, um, you know, Bitcoin a, a you know, Ponzi scheme or it's backed by nothing, etc. I mean, they just have to look at what they're backing right now. It's a paper currency where they are just printing unlimited amounts of it. It's not backed by gold. It's not backed by anything anymore. The only thing you maybe you could say it is backed by is uh, U.S. hard power, which is you know their army, aircraft carriers, and oil. The U.S. dollar is actually the more proper name for it is called the petrodollar. So it's it's um, it backs the oil industry, and that again that's what is pretty hysterical about you know the mainstream fud, which is fear, uncertainty, doubt around Bitcoin and its energy usage, when it's seventy percent renewable, and then you look at what their backing which is um you know fiat currencies it's called the petrodollar it's literally called the petrodollar it's it runs the oil system uh and backed by you know u.s hard power so that that's really funny but you know eventually all these fud narratives are destroyed because bitcoin just block after block keeps going and it, it, again it just it just keeps running um we've also seen an incredible stress test i'm sorry I'm, again i'm going off on tangents but we saw a stress test um, just lately when China completely banned Bitcoin mining. 
and that was a pretty crazy time um, that's contributed to a lot of this crash downwards including high leverage but mainly the china in my opinion the, the ban so 90 percent of all power of bitcoin mining is now being moved out of china again we're seeing an incredible stress test of the network it's basically just shrugged it off and it's powering ahead the, the blocks are still running the transactions are all doing fine so yeah, it's pretty wild to see how this is all coming together. I'm sorry, I'm sure you have more questions. No, no, no. I've, my next question was, uh, I guess, just going to be asking you whether... I try not to get into politics yep. on this podcast, but I'd like to take risks. <laughs> <laughs> Haters going to hate. Haters going to hate. Yeah, there you go. Um, yeah, do you foresee... I haven't really thought about it, so I'm just going to ask the question. Please. Do you foresee, I guess, more uh, right-leaning countries adopting something like Bitcoin or left-leaning countries? Um, again, I haven't thought about this at all. Mm. That's a really good question. I think right-leaning countries, so countries who are more authoritarian by nature, will have a more difficult time uh, coming out and you know, saying we're making it legal tender or our national currency because it takes away the power from their central bank where they can manipulate it, print as much as they want, enrich the people around them and the elites around them as well. Um, but that being said, El Salvador, um, up until, I, I look, I believe, and again, I won't get too deep in the, the country, but from my understanding, the, the latest leader of El Salvador, um, he's young and, you know, very, very popular, um, but, you know, he arrested some judges. Uh, before that, the leaders in the country have been um, fairly authoritarian. Uh, but I've heard the, the counterpoint to that. A lot of the judges were quite corrupt, and he's come in with a super majority with a huge vote of confidence from the population. He's done what he needed to do. Um, and he's very progressive and, and liberal and tech-minded, so that's interesting. So I don't know if we can look at that specifically as a right-wing, you know, authoritarian adopting it. But at the other end of the scale, I, I'm not sure whether you see uh, socialists uh, adopt it. I, you know, that's just my feeling, but, you know, how many socialists... I guess Venezuela. I think the the great thing about Bitcoin is it... Or crypto in general, it's very apolitical. And if it's useful, if it provides efficiency and it's frictionless, it will be adopted no matter what. People will just find a way to use it. And that's what we see happening a lot. Um, and Venezuela, it's got some of the highest usage rates of Bitcoin in the world. Uh, and we know how crap their currency is, and they're run by a socialist, I guess you say dictator. You know, what's his... Um, uh, I've forgotten his yeah, name. Yeah, Chav uh, Chavez? No, no. But I'm gonna Maybe, yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're like, I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll stop. But, Let's um, get past that. Yeah, I, I think um, it, it's really interesting, and I, I think that's the great thing about it, is you can look at it just from a purely uh, adoption standpoint and technological standpoint. Um, it, it's kind of a good leveller in terms of politics, so... Yeah, it'll be interesting to watch um, as it happens. But uh, the US dollar won't, uh, sorry, the US won't lie down if there's a, uh, and you know what, to, to a great extent, I don't see Bitcoin as a competitor to the US dollar, especially in this cycle or two. It's more of a competitor to stores of value now, uh, gold and other things. Um, Do you ever see it being a competitor to the US dollar? Yes, and I think that's the genius part of the Bitcoin code is that as time goes by, the entrenchment grows, but as it becomes so obvious and everyone's looking at it and going oh wow this is the next big thing it suddenly has a big crash and then everyone forgets about it and regulations tape it off it, you know it's never fully targeted 100% um, because it has these cycles uh, and again I think a lot of people especially Michael Saylor who's a billionaire owner of MicroStrategy which is a tech company in the US he owns over a billion dollars worth of Bitcoin and he's very public about how this is not a competitor to the US dollar uh, you know, he thinks it's a competitor to gold, alternative gold. 
uh, and bonds. I think that's that's where a lot of the money can come from. Uh, but over time, it probably will become a competitive stock. And again, I think that is the genius of it. Uh, it but right now, if you take Lightning Network, which is on layer two, out of it, Bitcoin's actually quite cumbersome. It's slow uh, and rather expensive to move it around, and it's volatile. So as a currency, you know, you. You can't really be a currency yet unless you are moving to the Lightning Network, which El Salvador is. Uh, so, yeah, for a lot of people, it will still be used what, as what a is, store what, value. I don't know what that means. What do you mean by the Lightning Network? So that's basically like an upgrade to Bitcoin's protocol. You can, um, it, So you've got the base layer, which has the main sort of capital on it, the transactions, the blocks. And then you've got layer two, which takes a lot of the... Because in each block, there's a lot of information, let's just say on the blockchain and the second layer takes a lot of that out and that allows you to transfer um, value really really quickly really cheaply it takes out a lot of the uh, underneath a lot of the inefficiencies from the bitcoin network uh yeah it's, it's pretty pretty amazing i'm not probably not the best person to tell you the nuts and bolts of it but if two people wanted to exchange bitcoin how long does it take to exchange it uh if i wanted to transfer it to you right now uh within 10 minutes okay so but i could transfer you a trillion dollars worth of bitcoin in 10 minutes yep. with with minimal fee well, uh, what was it? So, roughly around twenty dollars, fifteen to twenty dollars US last time I looked for a, a transfer. So that's Re why, we regardless of amount. Uh, yeah, yeah, I believe so. Yeah. Um, but with Lightning Network, it's uh, minimal, uh, as in, in almost instantaneous, and uh, it's basically fearless. So, yeah, really exciting stuff. That is crazy. Yeah. Sam, we've done it again. Yes. Spoken for over sixty minutes. Three of those minutes were about boxes. Yeah. And I, I feel I haven't answered any of your questions. <laughs> <laughs> you always right. ask me the stuff and I just go off on tangents. No, no, look, it's that, that's the whole point of having a podcast. It's it's to have tangents. Yeah. That's why um, yeah. that's why I do it. It's why I enjoy having people on. I'm quite a fan of tangents, not a fan of silk boxes. Look, neither am I. We can agree on that. We can agree on that. Yeah. Uh, I think this is really exciting. So I... As, a, as somebody who just has been observing it for a lot of years, mm. um, I just find it, I find that it's just still so like early stages. I Correct. think like this is like so many other things and yep. I feel like, yeah, it's just a, even if you don't decide to, to do anything with it, it's just still interesting to just, you're part of history right now. Mm. And I think, you know, so many people, especially people, um, like yourself who do who do like history mm. uh it's just a cool thing to be a part of and to just be aware of and just to see it all unfold yeah. um and i think it's uh you know i think the more time that goes by i think it's something that i don't think the general public should ignore no, no. you should definitely uh even yeah. just educate yourself on it yeah 100 percent. and you're right with history i mean uh, all throughout history there's been uh, big empires or times where big currencies have had their day there's always an end point to those fiat currencies, um, whether by inflation or you know some other like war, um, disease, so they all come to an end, and we've seen that. Um, we may be seeing that now because I think the US dollar has been around about that lifespan, and I can't remember if it was 100 years or 200 years. Um, yeah, in terms of the US dollar's longevity, so generally we see a changing of the guard, and I don't know whether that's Bitcoin or something else, um, but we're seeing something happening, which is interesting. Time will tell. If people would like to follow you ask you for advice where can they do so yeah absolutely so you can find me on twitter uh samuel p MacD, um and uh, probably a good spot to come say hi is on our company website so that'd be crypto consulting institute it's probably under joshu crypto consulting institute so that's the owner um and uh yeah we can have a chat there if, you, if you'd like to um 
uh, have a look at education and going a bit further into this space. Yeah, it's something we, we love to do and take very seriously. Cool. Uh, thank you very much for listening to the show today, wherever you are. And if you have listened to the show, please tell people about it. It helps the show. It helps my um, really low self-esteem when I see that more people download it. <laughs> and um, yeah, I just feel better about myself. <laughs> Guilt. <laughs> um, I might cry if you don't yeah. share it. Give and good feedback. Yeah. The best feedback. Come on. Uh, thank you for listening, guys. Take care and have a good day. Peace. Happy hunting. <laughs>